0: I start to feel anxious or getting followed by uh, a guy like my mind is panicking. I actually can't concentrate on driving because I know this person is just trying to follow us.
1: We're strictly this, written a book, a West End. An internet sensation. Joe Sung, You started at 19, 20 years old. By 22, you had about 6 million subscribers. Yeah. That's fucking nuts.
0: It was so uncertain about where that was going to go. The rise, but also the fall can happen so quick. That imposter syndrome I already had, got amplified of anxiety self-doubt the whole thing just didn't feel real
1: Diane you met her on Strictly
0: first real proper girlfriend yeah the further you go in that competition the higher the pressure is and the stress gets we saw the best and the worst of each other I always thought it would be a very private thing it's actually ended up being the complete
1: opposite hand on heart do you think if you had never started YouTube you'd be happier overall good question um So without further ado, I'm Stephen Bartlett, and this is The Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Joe. Hello. Tell me, what are the most important things that I need to know about you from your early years in order to understand you? Um, In order to understand the man that you are today. The man I'm today. I was quite a
0: loud child. I was a loud, annoying child growing up. When we look back through like family videos, um, it's it's quite embarrassing to watch, particularly me, because um, I I'm the, I was the sort of boy that'd be like, mommy, watch this, watch this, like repeating myself over and over again. And we're watching it back like, oh, shut up. Like you were an annoying child. But then um, at some point, I flipped, and I don't know when that was, but at some point I flipped and became a very sort of timid, quite a shy child. Um, always very creative, even from an early early age. Um, I was uh, a good drawer. I used to d- illustrate and draw a lot of pictures at school, um, which definitely came from passed down from my parents. Mum and dad both very creative in their own in their own sense. I went to a very very small primary school um, in rural. Wiltshire. Uh, I think there's 52 pupils in our in, in our whole school. Going from there to secondary school was a big change for me because that was going from 52 pupils in the whole school to over a thousand. So that was a big, which probably could have a a a reason why I went from being sort of quite a loud, annoying child to being a lot more sort of oh, I'm at my depth here. I'm now a small fish in a big pond.
1: You were. Uh, I read in the book. Th- in chapter one of grow that you were quite self deprecating at that point in secondary school yeah
0: yeah 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 primary school i I feel like primary school i was a, a, I was a lot more confident everyone knew everyone very well and I just felt like a lot more popular then mm-hmm. and then yeah moving to secondary school it was much more like yeah like i say it was it was a very different place um and that's when I first sort of encountered teasing and bullying and stuff, and I wasn't necessarily like bullied, I would, but it was more like if there was like teasing going on or, th- or things that they were trying to sort of dig, I very quickly sort of realised if I'm already sort of poking fun at myself, th- they will get bored of trying to poke fun at me, so there's less chance of that happening.
1: At that age in secondary school, would you consider yourself to be a, a confident child? No no
0: do you know what silently confident like in my head i've always been the sort of person where i can i know what i'm capable of and like i know that that i think you know i know that i'm i can do certain things to a good standard and i know that I, i i can be a good student and all this kind of stuff um but on the outside not as confident at all so like with work and stuff i was very confident i was confident that i'd be able to get the grades and do well in school and things like that but it's more the sort of social side of it i found that a lot more difficult
1: well if i'd asked you at that age what you wanted to be when you grew up what would you what would you tell me say like 16 ish 16 i
0: wanted to be i wanted to work in media but i wanted to be more go more down the route of um animation my goal as a kid initially first of all it was an (laughs) archaeologist of course i wanted to be in dana jones and then uh Secondary school, um, I wanted to work for Ardman. I wanted to be an animator, like model builder, um, or just. I think I've got I've got a lot of patience, and uh, if you know animations like, or how long it took to make Chicken Run or Wallace and Gromit, you know those films take a long time to make. So I wanted to, yeah, I I, I felt like I'd be good to do
1: that. And I wanted to wanted to work for for You Your 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 grades at A, a- level were really good. Yeah, uh, which was surprising because then you, you know most people with those kind of grades that get A's and stuff would then go off to university. Yeah, you chose not to. No,
0: yeah. It's it, uh, so we did uh, work experience. I think did the same. Like when you when oh, yeah, turn yeah, sixteen, yeah. you have uh, to yeah. get into a form, dentist. Did you? Yeah, yeah I, I fell asleep every day. So <laughs> 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 I um, I I decided to go roof thatching with my uncle. So my uncle is a roof thatcher, which is a. Uh, A very old traditional craft that they don't really teach anymore it's very like kind of there's no classes you can go and take and you can't study for it you've got to actually go on the job and work on the job and you learn when the master thatcher thinks you're ready you then go from being an apprentice to a master thatcher and my school i remember my school advised that i didn't do it but i went and did it anyway shouldn't have done sorry uh but I, i i so i went and did that and then um I absolutely loved it i and it was i was outside i think what it was is i was outside it was it was tough i wasn't really i was lifting a lot of straw and moving things and sweeping up but i but i absolutely loved it is there's something about like when we finished a roof we'd look at what we've done and it's just that feeling i wanted to bottle that up and be like that's what i want for the rest of my life so i decided that i wanted to be a roof thatcher for the rest of my life i'm the sort of i'm very kind of i'm very bad at making my mind up on things as well there's a lot going on i'm very bad at making my mind up on stuff so i was like what if it doesn't work out later on down the line i need to have a levels so if i if this doesn't go to plan or you know after a while i don't like it i can at least then try out university and go back to trying to work for something in the media or or admin or something so um but i didn't i'd sort of i i I always like the idea of having safety nets underneath me so if something if something doesn't go to plan it's all right you've always got that safety net of and that's kind of like in a way what roof thatching became because i started doing youtube as a hobby off the back of the thatching i did it in my spare time and that started to take off and and become a full-time career but then i was in a way safe going into that because i was like if it all doesn't pan out because this is going back to when youtube wasn't really a career as well so it was it was so uncertain about where that was going to go but i always felt very like secure in the fact that i knew that if it didn't pan out i try it for a year if it doesn't work i can go back to a job that i genuinely really really love so yeah
1: the two the two ideas that that almost in sort of collision there was this idea that you are very self-confident in your abilities and that you've always needed a plan b yeah, I was trying to make them make sense hmm. as two kind of separate ideas because one of them sounded a bit like self-doubt, this idea that sometimes there's a struggle to make a definitive decision and that there's a need for a plan B. Are you someone that has self-doubt at the same time? Because I, imp- I think it's possible to understand your talents but also have doubt in the future and how things will pan out.
0: Yeah, I'm the sort of person where I think of the best case scenario. So like I I have those... It, like, I've got a very vivid imagination. So I would, with everything that I go into, I always think of the best possible outcome, which then gives me that sort of self-confidence. But then I also have Mr. Self-Doubt on the other side who finds the worst case scenario. And then they, they have a battle in my head of how I should think. And it, that I think that's where the indecision comes from with a lot of stuff. I live with it. I'm glad I've kind of got it because without, like, I would I wouldn't want to always have the self-doubt there and I also wouldn't ever w- always want to have the self-confidence there cuz I think that would make me a completely different person maybe a person that I don't like either. Mm-hmm. So I don't know it's, it's there's um yeah I have I have both. Th- that's
1: the thing with um, with the self-doubt if it's just a little bit too high and I, I learned this actually from a guest on this podcast called Near IL, he um his He wrote a book on why we get distracted and ultimately, like why we p- procrastinate on things. Mm. And he says, procrastination is the result of us trying to avoid a task or thing that's that we have psychological discomfort associated with. Yeah, so when you're like, you know you've got the essay to do, you'll end up doing the washing up because Mm -hmm. that's the task you're competent in. And whereas with the essay, you know, there's loads of research to do. You're not necessarily, you don't feel comfortable starting yet. There's something missing. So there's mental psychological discomfort. So you just go do the dishes. And I think self-doubt is one of the things that leads us to have that psychological discomfort where we just kind of delay it and wait for that perfect time or go do the dishes.
0: I have that all the time. I I, I always say it's because I'm creative. It's because I'm creative. It's like I get scared. I don't know, scared's the right word but i yeah i put it off like I've, if i know i've got something i want to do that's that is creative and requires a lot of sort of sitting around thinking beforehand and then putting pen to paper or or um anything that's going to involve the creative process i delay it and i i think it's a thing of like what if i start doing it and instantly i don't like it and i'm like ah oh, this is not how i imagined because you you sort of in your mind you have this version of it's all just going to come flowing out of the pen or you're going to start filming um, something and it's always going to go perfect plan and it doesn't. And it Very very often does it all just completely flow. Um, and I think that, that kind of puts a block in. I'm always like, if I'm going to do
1: it, I need to make sure everything's prepared beforehand. That is very interesting. A lot of the time as well, we say to ourselves that we're the reason I'm not starting it or the reason I have that procrastination is because I'm a perfectionist. Mm. I, I've, I really want, you know, everyone loves that because it's a nice way of framing yourself as being, as having really, really, really high standards and being, honestly, it's kind of like saying, I'm the reason I've not started it yet or the reason I struggle is because I'm amazing. Yeah. It's almost <laughs> like saying that when really, a lot of the time, it's probably self doubt and that mm. psychological discomfort associated with you don't feel fully competent or like you could fully nail it and you're yeah. trying to avoid the mess, which, yeah. which we all mm. encounter as we do anything.
0: Yeah. I think it's like, it's kind of like that. I I think it's from that part of my brain that's like seeing the best possible outcome. So like, yeah. let's say, for example, uh, I'm doing a, a painting. In my head, I'll have that thing of like, almost going ahead because of my imagination, I see it finished and I'm like, this is it's going to be amazing. It's going to, you know, I'm going to post it online and people are going to love it and things like that. But then I s- start and it doesn't quite go. I'm like, oh, actually, this is in my mind, I've gone through this process of like, doing it over and over again and getting it to how I want it to go. And then I start doing it it's not going how I imagined it. And that sort of scares me a bit. And that's why I think I put things off more from that kind of side.
1: Unfinished paintings? Yeah, a lot of them, <laughs> too many of them. <laughs> what, what, what have you learned about, is there anything that you've learned or any anything that's helped you get past that initial um, hesitancy of procrastination or, cause you, you know, reading through your story and even speaking to you to today, even before we started recording, I was like, God, this guy's got so many ideas.
0: I was going to say, yeah, I, for, that is something that I've struggled with, cause especially nowadays where like going into things like business, like starting businesses and stuff. I feel like that from what I've seen, very rarely do you see people that are doing so many different things. And it is that thing of like, I'm a plate spinner. Like I love spinning plates of different things and trying to keep up with these spinning plates. And I take time to sort of sit back and look at these things and think what when are you going to sit on one thing and actually just do that thing and devote your because you see like you look throughout history of like artists and people who have devoted their whole life to sculpting do you know what I mean and and um I sort of tell myself I'm not going to achieve anything sort of near that if I don't dedicate my whole life to one thing but for me I just find it so difficult because I'm like I've got a limited time and I want to Dip my toe into everything. And it's weird because I feel like I use this analogy, and I don't know if it's a great analogy or not, but with the YouTube sort of career that I've had over the last 10 years, that is something that I did sort of double down on and really focus all my energy on at one point. But then it became a point of branching it out and doing different things um, just as a, as a form of like stability as well, because we didn't know, we still, like, we back in those days, we didn't know how long it's going to last for. So we did sort of branch out into different things. I think I just got a bit carried away with the branching out and just, I was like, there's so many things to sort of see and try out and do. I see like the, that YouTube thing of like catching a, like going out to sea and catching a wave and caught that wave in. Um, and it was incredible. It was a, it was a record breaking wave. It was a major wave kind of thing. And, you know, uh, and now I feel like I'm sort of, I'm back out on my board again and I'm paddling around. I've caught a few little waves, but they've not been, like another, you know, ripper of a wave like like the YouTube one was yet. But I, I'm sort of like, I know that there's more big waves out there, but it's just kind of like knowing which wave you start paddling. You know, like how surfers mm. sort of start to paddle out trying to catch mm. them and you watch them, they sort of get it and then doesn't go. And it's like, I feel like at the moment I'm sort of paddling out and sort of waiting for that sort of next Big wave in a sense
1: why do you need a next big wave
0: good point i should just stay on the beach i think that's actually what my therapist i have a therapist i speak to and i use that analogy with her and she said it's the exact same thing why do you need to catch the next big wave why not stay on the beach you don't need to go out and constantly catch big waves
1: i was thinking but- this because you said earlier i mean the question i was going to Um, asked before you talked about the wave analogy was kind of similar which is if you're happy spinning multiple plates and trying lots of things and sculpting for the joy of sculpting, Hmm. it seems like, and this is I'm guilty of this in the the biggest way, it seems like there's this other narrative which is saying, no 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 no, forget what you love doing, focus because success is the most important thing, and when I say success I mean like accomplishment because real success probably is actually being happy yeah, and you're happy. Like, but but it's almost it's almost like we deny ourselves of happiness because there's not a gold medal there, or there's yep. not a gazillion followers there. Yeah. But you're enjoying sculpting. Yeah. For the sake of sculpting, it's
0: it's like it's like a punishment of yourself.
1: Like I feel like I,
0: um, it, in a way, I yeah, it's kind of like a form of like Joe, you know, you love doing this, and this makes you genuinely happy. So why don't you just do it? Do you know what I mean? And if if you love it that much, and you stick at it and do it, then. Good things may come from it but it's not gonna happen straight away and it's like it's almost like i get into a thing of like i like to sort of the things that i know i love doing i put aside and i focus on the things that uh, that maybe i don't love as much or not as passionate about as much but i'll sort of almost put that before the little things that make me really happy it's bizarre wow. i've no idea I have no idea i've tried to i've tried to like think about it a lot And it's, it's weird that it comes from, I don't know where, where it comes from.
1: Because, are you saying because those things you could be, although you might not love them as much, you, you might be able to be successful in the eyes of the world in them or? I think I, it's because I've got that thing in
0: me that's looking for instant success and stuff, which is weird. And maybe that's because of like before on YouTube and stuff, there was a time where, you know, we were, I say we like might speak for myself, but like uh, me and a lot of the people around at similar time that on that sort of wave that we were on, we all um, everything we sort of would go into almost became an instant success in a way. T- it was t- like old, yeah. yeah, I think it's because we like back then, I felt like it was it was so much bigger. A- anything you sort of went into, you you know, it did end up sort of getting attention and doing really well and and things, whereas now, maybe not so much. And I think that's, that's kind crazy. of-
1: That's crazy. We signed some YouTubers back in that, those days. So maybe not, because you were, you were very, very early, but yeah. in 2013, 14, we signed a bunch of YouTubers. Yeah. And still to this day, none of them were as near, near the size of, of you and that sort of British cohort of like YouTube yeah. megastars. But still to this day, I d- and they must've been 18, 19, 20 years old. I still think it ruined their lives. Yeah because I watched an 18 year old 19 year old kid who had started a YouTube channel got to two hundred thousand three hundred thousand subscribers when there was no video that was the only shopping in town for video before mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Facebook video and yep. Instagram and snap and all and Twitter video yep. so that was where as brands we were just p- pumping all the money into these youtubers yeah I watched those kids turn down 15 grand to show up to a fucking movie premiere yeah or to just show face when yep. that when that wave comes into shore and hits the beach and it's over yeah I don't those I don't those kids are in a psychological trap almost yeah. with their own personal expectations of the world and i and i and i really worry about that because success has often is can be a curse because because of the way it messes with our own personal expectations of ourself and of the world yeah and in in some respects that sounds like what you're saying your expectations back then everything you guys touched did turn to gold mm. yeah and now you're saying it's it's a little bit more difficult yeah bronze Probably <laughs> yeah. 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 No, yeah. Do you
0: want does any of that resonate with you? 100 percent. Yeah, I think that's you know, that's a big part of why um myself and Casper is also a YouTuber. Yep. We we started a management company because in the future there's gonna be kids, I mean, we were even seeing it then, like young kids that were shooting to fame overnight. But even I think nowadays with other social medias, it happens even quicker. Like mm-hmm. the, the the rise but also the fall can happen yeah. so quick. And I was like, for for me and Casper we were like, we want to make a management company, and a big role of what we have in that is being in a way kind of like mentors when needed to, to for any questions they have or anything that any concerns they have about that kind of thing, we can sort of give it's. I kind of use it as like a, I guess, like the you know, like um, the Hunger Games, that guy <laughs> who's like sat on the train, he sort of takes her through it and be like, Look, this is going to happen. I guess, like a, 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 a like ver- a mentor, a, a very different version of, yeah, like, yeah, kind of like mentor yeah. kind of role, yeah, um, and that. For me, is like one of the like the best things that I do at the moment is having that sort of one-on-one with our own clients and sort of if they've got any sort of issues, being able to actually offer advice
1: and see it make a change. I'm Joe <laughs> at nineteen, yeah, yeah, and you're Joe at thirty, right? What do you say to me? I'm about to, but as you were, I'm about, I'm thinking about uploading that first video. And yeah. What advice would you give me?
0: I would say, if you want it to get to that level. You can do it if you put in the sort of the consistency, and you're you're you making stuff that is going to get seen and stuff. But just be prepared for there's other sides of it that aren't aren't all bells and whistles and that kind of thing. There's other, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be things that that you're going to need advice on, and we're going to be here to to help and hold your hand through that if you needed. What are the things that run? Press negative press. Um, you know, haters. You're going to get trolls that's the the bigger audience size the the more issues it brings in terms of the more eyes that are on you the more people that watch your stuff that may not like what you do and then they've got a thing out against you and there's there's a lot what's the mental cost i would say that if you're me it's still worth it it's still don't ever regret doing it it's still worth it like you. There, Of course, there's negatives, but the positives that you've gained out of it, or you will gain out of it, um, in everything outweighs the negative. And don't get don't get bogged down by the negatives because there's more posi- You know, there's more pos. There's going to be more positives than negatives. The the negatives don't matter as much as you think they're going to matter at the time. At the time when you experience these negatives and these things that you know don't go your way, or that's going to happen, but don't let it don't dwell on it don't let it consume you because there's positives beyond that that and you'll 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 look back and you
1: won't regret it what is the worst thing that's going to happen to me the worst thing that's going to happen to you over the next 10 years so i'm 19 years old you know how it all plays out
0: yeah overthinking overthinking and worrying about what other people how they perceive you
1: What cost is that going to have?
0: A few sleepless nights, uh, a lot of anxiety, self-doubt.
1: I'm guessing at 19 years old, Joe didn't know what anxiety was.
0: No, no. What is it? It's a feeling of claustrophobia,
1: feeling a bit trapped. Do you remember, do you remember days through that period. I mean, you, you talked a little bit in the book about, I think, 2015 or so, a couple of years in. I mean, so you you said earlier you started at 19, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. By 22, am I correct to say that you had about 6 million subscribers? Possibly, yeah. That's fucking
0: it's, nuts. It, yeah, it happened really quick. I was very fortunate that my uh, my sister Zoe sort of, um, and Alfie actually, um, her partner, they, they really encouraged me to do it. Before YouTube, we used to... Um, buy blank cassette tapes and make our own radio shows or but I guess podcasts back in the day like as, as like kids we were always taking our parents camcorder and recording shows and Zoe was very much like the leader in that she was very much sort of uh, the director let's say um, and I was always the sort of sort of I just did what she told me to. Like I was the little brother that would just go along with it and that kind of thing. And um, so when YouTube came around, she started to get a bit of success from it. And she was like, you should give us a go because it's the kind of stuff that we were doing as kids or have done. We kind of like, it's not that far off from what we used to do, but you know, there's an audience that can watch you from around the world. And, and, um, and uh, so, yeah, so I gave it a go. And it, And it, I think back then the success of like the, some of the some of the stuff we'd film back then wouldn't it'd be like a, a drop in the ocean now in terms of like how big social media's got and and YouTube and stuff. Our stuff wouldn't be watched nowadays. It was like we were very much kind of hit it at the right time, and uh, yeah. So I started and it, and it just sort of snowballed and it snowballed really quickly. I remember there was a time where um I was still thatching on a roof five days of the week and then. Um, had an email come through asking if I'd go to fly out to Los Angeles to interview Simon Cowell. And yeah, I flew out there and it was all first time ever experiencing a business class flight. I still had like straw in my shoes from like being on the roof <laughs> and like hadn't showered, like kind of like just grotty Thatcher getting on this plane, like a chauffeur driven car pulled up to a house and took me off to the um, Heathrow airport. And I went through the, there's like a little secret bit. Um, where They put these barriers down you have your own, like private security kind of thing, and you go through, and and I was like, it just blew my mind, and and uh, and I hadn't even got to Los Angeles yet. First time ever flying on my own, like solo, um, and uh, that whole experience was just like, the whole thing just didn't feel real. Just did not feel real. It just felt like I was sort of like living like a double life in a way. Of like, I, I, like yesterday I was on a roof, thatching, and now I'm sat in Simon Cowell's fancy house sort of
1: talking to him about skype <laughs> those experiences especially when they're really quick and they go from zero to a hundred people when when i sit here with them often talk to me about imposter syndrome yeah because you as you said you're kind of living a double life You're like, yeah. what the fuck am i doing I yeah i'm straw, in my shoe and simon cowell and definitely yeah
0: imposter syndrome there's definitely a lot of that going on um
1: And that must result in overthinking and doubt and yeah all those things we talked about
0: and that's another thing actually that i would say to younger joe is that you're going to get this thing called imposter syndrome um you'll learn about later but yeah it'll be there um and i've yeah i've had that even even now to this day like i I, even sort of even now with this podcast like i've listened to this podcast all the time Mm. and even on the way here i was a bit nervous because i was like you get like these, you know, these incredible CEOs on and these people that are so good at talking. Mm. And I struggle to get a sentence together most of the time. And I'm like, I, even me, I, I feel like there's people on there that have done such amazing things. And I'm like, for, even for me, it still gives me that little bit of imposter syndrome of like, there should be other people. That, there's a lot more people that should be sat in
1: this chair rather than me. What's the risk of that? Because, you know, I met a lot of people that, for me, the risk is um, you end up like avoiding Like opportunities in life and stuff, because I'm sure there must have been people that we've asked to come on this podcast before that, through imposter syndrome, said no. Like they, they, because we do get a lot of people come here and they'll say similar thing. We've had, I mean, I can think of a few people who literally came here and was like, I don't know why you've asked me to be here.
0: Mm.
1: And that must impact performance. It must make the whole thing unpleasant. I mean, at least the lead up, anyway. Yeah. Until I'm such a, you know. It does. Yeah. I, I think like a good example for me
0: is is doing strictly or even um, actually probably even more so as uh, waitress in the West End so mm-hmm. I, I did a stint on on the West End in waitress and this was coming off the back of doing strictly so my confidence actually it completely changed me in a sense that it gave me such a big boost of confidence which I didn't hadn't had for a long time um, and so riding on that confidence I agreed to, uh, to do a, a audition for uh, Ogie and waitress in the West End. And um, I remember I kept asking, sort of my sort of my team, being like, "Have they asked me because of like strictly, or you know, will they be honest and like if I'm not good enough, will they just tell? I don't want them to sort of put me in it if I'm actually not good because oh, I'm not to standard that they'd take someone on. Do you know what I mean if it's not me? And uh, they were they were sort of like, I think you'll you know just go along, you'll be you'll go this kind of stuff." and um, I remember even after doing the audition and they said they really loved it and things like that I st- in my mind I was still like but did you though what, like are you sure like are you sure and, and especially like the, the the backlash that I kind of got from that was was quite like I mean it's it's nothing that sort of worried me too much but there was a lot of like people that were messaging me being like you, you don't deserve this as people that have trained their entire lives in musical theatre and they're not going to they didn't get that, they won't ever get that opportunity because people like you coming in, taking the, those roles. And so I started to have like a massive, and that kind of like, that imposter syndrome I already had got amplified. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't do it. And just sort of, but then I wonder, I wonder if there's been any, any, I wonder if there's been any times where people have then turned around and said, actually, do you know what, I don't, I don't want this because oh, of so what times. people on social media have said, do you know what I mean, or given yeah. their opinion on. Um, so that was a real sort of. That was a, a definitely a moment that stands out to me of being like, I probably shouldn't be be here doing this.
1: Mm. In your in your journey with social media and, and YouTube, w- where, was there a moment where you go, That was where I really started to see the symptoms of getting burnt out by doing this. Was there a mo- a, a year or a time where you just thought, Fuck, I don't want to, I don't want to open my emails. I don't want to. Do, I don't want to upload.
0: Yeah, there w- it was, I think, around 2016, 17, I think it might be. Um, I remember it clearly because it was just a time where there was just a lot going on. I think YouTube was, like, uh, massive. We were, you know, like, I, I think I, at the time, I, was, I mean, I run, at the time, I was, had three YouTube channels that I was trying to all keep up at the same time. And this was actually before I had any, I was doing it all solo as well. So I'd think of the ideas, I'd shoot them all, edit them, um, obviously distribute it, I guess, kind of in a way, market it by promoting it and putting it out there and trying to get people to watch my stuff. But I also had a uh, a book coming out, uh, which I was working on. Uh, we'd also, me and Casper did a feature um, with BBC Studios, like a, a sort of a, like a straight to DVD kind of like film of us sort of traveling around. In a camp fan. so like, there's a lot of things going on, and obviously lots of other different things in the background. And it got to a point where I was like, my life as a roof thatcher before all this was there was no feeling like this, how I'm feeling now. It was just I had my I had such a solid structure, like up at this time, go to work until this time, go back, unload the straw, load up the van again, go and see my nan, give her the paper, go home, go to the gym, and then that was it. Was, then that, was that was a your life there's been a lot of times throughout my life where i've looked back and thought that was like i think i think it is because that's that structure it does make you feel like it's i i was living a more
1: yeah yeah hand on heart do you think if you'd never started youtube you'd be happier overall over the last 10 years hand on heart
0: I think i i'm more happy the route i've gone down as well i think because the thing is i can't i can never sort of as much as you know i i've had my struggles online and stuff that actually the online has also been such a big help for me and especially like in terms of like youtube and the way that they i've worked with them and personally and like had support from them has been incredible so i'm very fortunate as a creator on youtube that YouTube actually given me a lot of support and I've I've had a good team around me that have given me the support mm-hmm. uh, and the friendships and the family that I've had around me. It, although I went through a time where I did struggle a lot and I, I I had that burnout and I had that sort of anxiety and worry and self-doubt and stuff, I've h- had a really good set of people around me that have helped me sort of get past that. Even with the, the roof thatching, you know, I, I look back on it now because I'm... So, so so far down a different path but i if i went back to thatching i'm sure there were times where i'd be up on the roof when it's like sideways rain wind freezing cold thinking like what am i doing up here like mm. so i think it's all sort of comparative to where you are at certain points in your life
1: did your love for youtube shift though because obviously y- you start posting less frequently yep. on your main channel yeah, um to the point where it's, and it's funny because as someone that's kind of observed the whole YouTube journey over the years, there seems to have been this point, which you've literally spoken about, where multiple YouTubers appear to have kind of vanished a little bit. Yeah. And then they end up posting a video saying, like almost giving their reason why, saying they're going to come back. It's yeah. another one a year later saying they're going to come back and they never yeah. come back. What is going on?
0: I think, I mean, I, I have to say I can't speak for everyone, but for myself personally, I th- I, I think it's partly because my audience have all grown up or the audience that I had back then, they've all got older. They've all, they're all in their sort of, I presume a lot of the ones started watching me when they were 14, 15. They're all now in their 20s. They've got their own stuff going on. And the stuff that I knew how to make back then is not what they want to consume now as content. It's
1: what right. I sort of <laughs> gauge from it. I have like a, I have I have a guess as well, which is I think very much in line with what you're saying. I think that the algorithm might have changed a little bit. Yeah. And I think that I think a few things happen when that happens. So I think as a creator, you get psychologically demotivated. Yeah. When you're doing the same work and you're not getting you're getting a basically you're getting a vote from your audience to say which sounds like we don't like it. Yeah, anymore. Yeah. yeah. And then it seemed like that happened all at the same time with that initial sort of YouTube cohort. Mm and so a lot of them because they saw declining numbers and whatever they were making decided to try other formats and other things and go into other places i remember back in the day like youtube seemed to be much shorter form videos Mm -hmm. yep and now you have a lot of long form stuff a lot of 55 minute hour joe rogan three hour videos on there yes there's always like rumors that
0: go around being like oh this he heard the latest this is what now you know this is what the algorithm wants and stuff and i i agree with that to a degree but i also think you've got the people that take it to the extreme sometimes. And like, you know, the reason why I'm not doing this is because of this. And I I never want to solely blame it. I I think that's why I don't always blame it on an algorithm. This might go back to me being the sort of self-doubting, kind of imposter syndrome type vibe again of thinking like, it's not just because of this mechanical thing that goes on in the background. It's also because I need to switch things up and change my, you know, who I am online or what I'm doing online. Uh, I need to move. I need to shift what I'm doing with the times. And I think that's harder than I than I thought when I was sort of like, I'm gonna change my stuff now. And it's, I think it's
1: more difficult than I thought. Was there a point where you, you saw numbers decline and you thought, where you start to think, wait a minute, these, this is not how it used to be. Yeah, yeah. When was that?
0: It was right before I said yes to doing Strictly. I thought, you know, it'll be fine. they will get used to it and try with different content and things. And I started to post different stuff. and It just wasn't doing performing as well as it used to. And I'd always kind of like prepared myself for it. Like my dad actually gave me a good piece of advice. Looking back on it, of being like, this, what you're doing now is great. But, you know, in the future, it's only gonna get more and more people trying to do what you do. And there's gonna be people, there's always, there's always people out there that have new talents and stuff and it's going to it's gonna change over time and there's going to be people that come into this that have got, you know, not saying that, uh, uh, yeah, there's going to be people that come into it that have got super talent and stuff that just completely dominate and things in it. So, you know, you, unless you've got, really got something about you, you're going to struggle to keep up because it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And I kind of like, I look back now, I'm like, actually, a
1: lot of what he said Makes sense you know there is you know it's it's, that's the sort of way it's gone how do you define yourself now who are you now like as a from a self-definition point not that that's something i like to do to myself i don't like to (laughs) self-define but if you if you someone if someone asks you to write a bio what do you say it's one of the hardest things for me to answer it
0: genuinely is if 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 i'm ever asked to sort of sum myself up what i do i just i think it's like my instagram bio is like i I am creative or something like that because i just i don't i find it so hard to sort of pigeonhole myself as this is what i do and this is what i am um so i'd say like it's it's difficult i just like to say like I'm i'm just a creative person
1: you are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level It seems like a, a fairly unobvious topic for someone like yourself to write about. So it was very compelling. Mm. Why Why did you decide to write about this, about the importance of going outside?
0: During the lockdown, we were all sort of looking for things to keep us busy. And and I, like we've mentioned before, I love hobbies. I'm always looking for things to do. And I, I had like a, a balcony that ran off from my living area. And I got into gardening in that small little balcony of the things I could do at the time and the things I had lying around. I got really into it and I was like sort of like caring for a plant and just trying to make a plant grow or, or putting time and effort into something else. Um and and sort of not being in the sort of the whirlwind that was going on online on our phones and stuff at that time, disconnecting myself from that and sort of reconnecting myself with something as simple as as nature made me feel so good it took away all kind of like anxieties um i just felt very calm and very like it took me back to my childhood in a sense of like how i grew up i was very lucky to grow up in a in a little uh cottage type place um so getting all that thoughts it's it's, it's part memoir like, i talk a lot about like growing up in the countryside and like and sort of things actually living in london and and all that kind of stuff but also a part practical guide of hopefully giving some tips for other people in terms of like how they can find their own balance that suits them
1: in terms of the real world and social media world it's quite a personal pivot isn't it going from being a youtuber who's uploading across three youtube channels and is glued to a screen to standing here holding these pots yeah <laughs> I, yeah no, it is. <laughs> yeah
0: it's, it is very different i think but that's that's kind of like how i've been i like to separate out Though, like those two things and what I've realized is separating those two things out is really beneficial for me um but it's but it's in no way sort of saying that social media is bad and this kind of thing you shouldn't be on social media because like it's a tool that we all use and we kind of like need to use like in terms of like we've got a personal computer in our hands it's, it's kind of like an extension of our arm we use it for so many things so it's not saying like don't use your phone your phone is evil it's more kind of like finding a balance that's right for you that is going to help you feel better about
1: yourself mentally. On that point of thinking, um, mental health has become a, an increasing conversation over the last uh, ten years. Social media has played has kind of sat in the middle of that debate. Um, being someone that started a big social media business, I talk about this a lot. Um, and obviously, you know, people when we talk about social media and mental health, they'll say, "Well, you made all your money from it." So, and and my rebuttal is always the same, which is, you know, if I if I've spent ten years within it and I knew there was something wrong and I didn't tell you, i yeah. would <laughs> make me even more of an asshole, right? Yeah. Just because it had made me money. So having having been a, like very deep in social media over the last 10 years, I think we're probably more qualified than most to talk about the impacts it has on us. Um, the mind, for, for better and for worse, when you were going through your hard times with social media, when you were having those real anxious m- moments where um, you've written a few things about how there was about a two year period with when, when when you'd really got going, where you just had this overwhelming sensation that felt like it was impossible to escape. Were you telling anybody about it? Were you talking to people? Were you speaking to Zoe, your family, and saying, I'm getting anxiety right now? Yeah,
0: more so my sister, because my sister has um, suffered with it a lot throughout her career. Um, So I I, I found it, I was very lucky that I could speak to her about it. And um, and obviously got a therapist as well um, that was recommended to me um, through my sister.
1: Do you remember that first time
0: you spoke to her about it? She, it was, she was very good about it, to be fair, because she's been through a lot of that stuff. She sort of um, straight away made me feel better in knowing that, at least sort of, sort of acknowledging what it is and then bringing some sort of understanding to it. Um, but it, de- it definitely, definitely helped having someone so close to me, like my sister, being able to
1: sort of help with that. And you spoke to a therapist about this. Yes. Going to see a therapist has a lot of stigma surrounding it. So especially men are often very reluctant to do that because I think especially once upon a time going and seeing a therapist meant that I was crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. So your journey to to actually getting into the into therapy. Can you talk to me about that process and what pushed you ultimately to take that step? Yeah, I think for me it was
0: I was I never saw it as a sort of I, I I don't know whether it's because of my sister, once again, like through everything sort of, in a, in a way sort of paving the way through that, of like being like, she was um, seeing a therapist. So I already felt like, well, if my sister, my big sister can do it, then, then I can, do you know what I mean? She, you know, if she can do it, I can, I can do it. So I was quite lucky in a sense that it, it was actually a very easy process for me.
1: What has therapy done for you practically? is there anything you could, that's it really helped me with that particular challenge that I had it's made me realize that
0: i am a uh, i've got a thing about people pleasing i'm a people pleaser so i i often feel like i can't be my unapologetic self in a situation without risking causing offense to someone I'm like terrified of upsetting someone or saying the wrong thing I'm learning through therapy that how to sort of manage that and to acknowledge it first and foremost and then to sort of and we're working on that at the moment of trying to sort of work on like why I have this thing of being worried so much about what other people think about what
1: I do it's a tough business to be in if you if you if you have that as a kind of predisposition. Has your therapist been able to offer you any advice about overthinking at all?
0: Yes. Uh more so in like the sort of anxiety side of things. There's three there's, there was I think two or three points that she suggested and it's like de de catastrophizing the catastrophe. Um using time to separate so like if I'm if I'm feeling anxious I've got a sort of the way you think about time helps. For example, I was at um, Chelsea Flower Show recently with my mum, and um, I was I was engaged in conversation with someone else, and I was, but my mind was thinking like, there's so much going on around me, and I was, like, I started to feel anxious. And I just needed to get out of there, and it started to make me feel sick that I was like I couldn't leave, and I and I had um, I remember I had a glass of champagne in my hand, and I was like I don't know what to because i can't i was starting to think of all these different scenarios of being like i can't just be sick here because i'm in like someone's garden i can't just like i, I can't just run away and leave mid-conversation because i'm so worried about going to them sorry I, I i can't listen to what you're saying right now because my mind is panicking i need to go i was so worried about how they would think of me so it's like all that going on but if you what i've learned is that if you take that and think this conversation is max going to last five minutes that helps and it's like know that after those five minutes you can walk over there and you can be on your own and you can do this kind of stuff and it's going to help so it's like kind of like if you're going into something that you think oh this is going to be a five-hour thing or like exa- a two-hour exam you break it down into like chunks so it's like I've got okay this two-hour exam is uh four 30-minute chunks hmm. and that that starts to make me feel less anxious about things and then also sort of thinking ahead of that whole thing so if you've got an exam, thinking. Well, after this, I'm going to go and do this, this and this and this. And when you're thinking about things further in the future, it actually starts to make, make me feel more calm.
1: Diane, you met her on Strictly. Yes. Strictly gave you a lot, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was really interesting is that was your first girlfriend. Yeah. That's... that's first, yeah. First, first real girlfriend. First real proper girlfriend. Yeah. At, at what age? 26 yeah, yeah, God. I wonder if had you met her outside of Strictly, if you would be together. Yeah, because it seems like you would have done a pretty good job of overthinking your way.
0: <laughs> it's we have the same conversation. We're like, how lucky it was in a way that we were even partnered together. Because when you're partnered, if you're if we weren't even partners on the show, we're on the same show, we still say we may not have got together. Because when you're actually with your partners, you don't see each other. Throughout the week, so we're we're like this. We we sort of see it as like the stars sort of realigned there, and we and but it wasn't. Um, it was it was an odd sort of uh, situation, I guess. It's not it's not how I thought it would happen. I, I used to be quite like nervous about sort of getting a girlfriend publicly because I would always think what because I had at the time I had this sort of uh, large female young female demographic that were that really into sort of what I did and things like that. And I was kind of like, I've seen through like friends, I've got girlfriends, you know, and when they introduce their girlfriends to their audience, it's, it's a bit kind of like a, I always thought it would be a very private thing. And in my head, the whole time I was like, it'll be very private. And it's, it's actually ended up being the complete opposite. It's like, you can now watch the moment we met, which is kind of
1: unusual. <laughs> it seems it, from just speaking to you today and getting to know you but it does seem like that was the perfect way for you to get past, because you were forced together. Yeah, 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 and, and it's you know what I mean in the in the context of the show, you were forced to spend time with each other. You weren't there to to fall in love, but no. they put you together to do this very quite intimate thing, very deep journey over many many months. Yeah, and it feels like from a from just understanding you a little bit, that was probably the best way for you to get past a lot of that sort of talking yourself out of it. Hundred percent, and do you know what you you
0: you see the I feel like on that in that environment anyway, especially for me, is like we saw. I feel like we saw the best and the worst in each other over that sort of 16 week period. Mm. There have been times where we go into training and like things we weren't going to plan, we thought we were going home and we, you know, stress. The, the further you go in that competition, the higher the pressure is and the stress gets and things like that. So we, we saw the best and the worst of each other within those 16, excuse me, within those 16 weeks. And, um, and I was, and afterwards I was kind of like, when we even sort of like had time to really kind of sort of address Things like post, um, and be like, I actually kind of want to spend more time with you because I felt like I kind of I've seen the best and the worst, and I can you know, I'm happy with that, and it is vice versa. And so, um, so yeah, that's how it, yeah, you know, that's sort of
1: how it sort of happened. So the show ends, yeah, you get to the final, you do very well, and it's then fun. you did the tour, yes, which yeah. everyone a lot of people do, and yeah. they love that process as well. When did you decide that your dance partner was not just a dance partner and was? A girlfriend. It was. It was actually. It was before the tour. Before the tour. It was before okay. the tour. So after yeah, strictly, but before the yeah, tour. Yeah,
0: it was after the show finished, um, and like a few days after, we had time to sort of like we obviously missed each other because we had didn't see each other. So after we realised, sort of like I do miss like miss spending time with you and things like that. And so it, obviously we had a conversation, had a sort of decided to to see each other more often and things like that. And we actually then went uh, went away.
1: To a place in the New Forest. Wait a minute, that was very quick. You had a conversation on WhatsApp or in person? No, no, like in person. Okay, yeah, so you yeah. met up a few times in person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and then straight to the forest. And then
0: uh, we went. Yeah, we went. Uh, we went to the New Forest. Like a little trip. Right. Um, and I remember we were getting like followed because like there's a lot of like um sort of there was a lot of like attention on Pepper, us at the time yeah. I, I think and um and so yeah we were getting we were getting followed by uh, a guy, like I'm, I'm very like sort of aware of like what's going on around me and stuff. I think it's I think it's just from the career that I've had over the last ten years. I don't know, but I'm like I was like that guy who's parked. I can see from my flat. I was like that guy who's parked there. He's a paparazzi. Paparazzi, yeah. And um it's this is going to sound really like really wanky, but I I I I, I was lent to Aston Martin that that morning, I so I went things. down and I was like, this is the best. I do things like this more often. I get um lent cars like this and I was like and so I went down and um parked it and he must have seen me parked he knew what car to follow and later on that day I was driving along and I looked in the rearview mirror I was like I think we're being followed and then um I recognized the like the the license plate was something to do with the car and um and it put me on so much edge I was like driving along thinking like I actually can't concentrate on driving because I know this person is just trying to follow us um so I, 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 um, I, yeah, I sort of turned off from where I was trying to go to because I, like, I don't want to actually turn up to where we're going. So I was like trying to like shake him, off. shake him off a little bit. So I was like, right, Diane, you know how to work Bluetooth. He's like, yeah, put on the James Bond theme song. <laughs> and we had that moment of just like trying to sort of avoid um, this, this guy who was following us. And we did manage to do it obviously very safely
1: did the pictures come out in the paper
0: no no nothing luckily because we were moving on the move um but but yeah i I remember that very clearly of that kind of like a moment of being like this is not what i'm used to at all don't don't know if i like this but but then yeah that's where we sort of
1: yeah that's where you're a couple of years into the relationship now yeah you live together right yes yeah how's it going
0: yeah, it's going good yeah going really well it's 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 really nice because we are both very like she's also one of the professional dancers so she's still very much involved in the show and and when the show is not on she's involved in the tours and things like that so a lot of our time is separate and we had one year obviously 2019 was a year where we were like together and but we had our own stuff that we we're working on it's a very busy year for me and also a very busy year for her with like tours and and back then, even like I think they do like cruise, like did like cruise ships and stuff as well. So like, loads of different tours and stuff. So we were away a lot of each, a lot of the time. But then when we come together, it's so nice because we've got so much to. It's, it's, they say like distance makes the heart grow fonder and all that mm. kind of stuff. And I I genuinely kind of I do believe in that. I think especially in this sort of situation. Like although we are away from each other a fair bit because of our work commitments and stuff, it it works really really well and like when we do when we are together it's nice just to spend quality time together um but yeah no i'm absolutely loving it
1: we have a, a closing tradition on this podcast where the previous guest asks a question for the next guest not knowing yeah. who they're asking it for do you remember a moment where you realized that you loved your job when was it and why and was there a moment when you realised you hated your job? When was it and why?
0: Ooh, good question. Um, the moment that I remember that I loved my job was, there's, there's a lot of little moments that stick out, but I think it, this was going back to like the old YouTube gang. So like me, my sister, um, Alfie, Marcus, Butler, Jim, Tanya, a lot of that kind of the brickery we were called back in the day um we got invited to harry potter world Mm -hmm. um and i'm I'm, i've i'll admit i'm not the biggest harry potter fan but just being around like having like a day out with with that group that first sort of because it's kind of like our first sort of big group out somewhere and just being around these people and we're all going through the same situation which i really appreciate the fact that there's people within this group that i could chat to and speak to about what was going on and it was such a new and exciting time and we're all kind of on that journey up um and i just remember that's, oh, that memory's always stuck in my head and there's weirdly there's a there's a vlog i've logged we all vlogged it so it's like it's actually been documented so we can go back and watch it in the future and stuff but um that really sticks out
1: so what about the second part of that question
0: the so a moment where, sorry, a moment where I hated my job. Yeah. It, I guess it was the time where I had that burnout feeling and I was, I had so much going on. And I just thought, you know what? I, I actually don't really know if I want to do this anymore. And I, I remember telling my manager at the time, um, Alex, uh, that I was like, I just don't know if I want to do this. There's too much going on. I don't, I, I actually can't really handle it. I'm, you know, and I'm thinking about, my old job and how much sort of simpler that was and thinking like ah it's like but i had all these things going from my head of like that thing of like don't be ungrateful but also i am struggling with it um and i guess in that moment would feel like the time that i hated it but it didn't last very long because my manager at the time alex she sent me a like a care package she like went out and above and beyond and sent me this care package of like a, a book and um weirdly it was a harry potter book which as we know not the not the biggest fan, but <laughs> at the time it was exactly like I said. It's exactly what I needed. Um, so, but right before she saved the day, it was um, yeah, Tough. probably about that that time. I think.
1: Um, Joe, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for writing a really uh, important book. I think thank you. these kind of messages in the digital overstimulated world we're living in, especially our generation, the generation that are coming, are very, very important. And they're very simplifying, which I love, because it's very easy to write very complex things that that try and make things more complicated than they are in order to make yourself sound super smart or to try and trick people to buy something or to think you're a scientist. But I love stuff that is simplifying. It makes it much more accessible. Um, and I think that is that is why I love this particular book so much but I also really appreciate your honesty because you're talking about topics and themes that on one hand very few people will ever get to experience yeah. with the crazy career that you had in, yeah. in YouTube and that you're having in the media and all of these things But but also topics that are not always easy to talk about which is mm-hmm. the the difficult harder times and yep. and that balance is exactly why we do what we do here so thank you for your time it's thank been you very a much no pleasure thanks for having me and i can't see wait to see what happens next so <laughs> safe <laughs> <laughs>